Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. In this episode, I want to talk a little bit about Moses' almost kind of last words to the people of Israel. If you've been around the church, you've grown up in Sunday school or whatever, you know the story of Moses. He was the guy that God called to lead the people of Israel. And Moses, at first especially, was a pretty reluctant leader. He didn't really want to sign up for this task. He knew what his reputation was like in Egypt, but eventually he obeyed. And so he went and God used him to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. He used Moses to lead them out of Egypt and toward the promised land. And as you might remember that uh, Israel's doubt and disobedience and disconnection from God kept them from being able to immediately enter into the promised land. And they had this period of 40 years of wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness. And Moses, because of some time in the wilderness that he hadn't been directly obedient to God, when he had kind of, uh, God had asked him to provide water for the people of Israel in this miraculous way that would point people toward God. Instead, Moses chose to make it a time for him to express his anger at the people of Israel, to act like he was the one providing this water for them. And because he wasn't obedient to God and because God said he didn't choose to honor God in the midst of this situation, Moses didn't get to be the person to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So he knows what's coming ahead for him. He knows they're getting close to entering into this place that God had promised his people. And Moses knows that because of his disobedience, he doesn't get to enter with them. So he's giving kind of his farewell, his final words, his last ideas that he really wants to be fresh in the minds of the people of Israel as they enter into the promised land. And so I want to go to a book that maybe you don't spend a whole lot of time reading. Maybe you've never spent any time reading. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 6 and kind of go from there. So Moses, in this farewell speech, he says to the Israelites, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Now I want to stop for a minute here at this description of the promised land because honestly, most of you that are listening to this right now are listening on a smartphone or a laptop or whatever. And this description of a place to go and live, it sounds like 
a pretty big downgrade, doesn't it? Uh, they're saying, hey, you're going to be in the spot where water is not going to be hard to find. There's going to be brooks and streams and deep springs. For us, we're like, well, yeah, I can get water out of my tap or I can go buy bottled water. And I really prefer Aquafina because it tastes a little bit better to me than the other kind of stuff. We don't struggle to wonder where water is going to come from. But imagine living out in the wilderness, out in the desert, for 40 years, where often the only way you were getting water was if God provided. And then he moves on and starts talking about all this food that's going to be there. It's going to be a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. He's basically describing to a people who, if you remember, they were eating manna, this miraculous thing that God provided from the heavens for them. They were eating this pretty much all day, every day. This was their food. This was their sustenance. And they're getting to a place in the promised land where there's a variety of food, where there's some of this food that these kids that are growing up probably have never even tasted in their entire lives. And he's describing it's going to be this place where, you know how you have to worry about water sometimes here out in the desert? Uh, You're not going to have to worry about that anymore. You know how you just kind of have to eat the same thing out here every day in the desert? It's going to be way different. You're going to get food that you can't even really imagine right now because you have no frame of reference for it. And then he says, uh, he says the land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Again, just reiterating this idea that they have to spend every day wondering, is God going to miraculously provide again today like he did yesterday? Because if he doesn't, we're going to be in trouble. We're out in the middle of nowhere. We're living in this, uh, this unforgiving desert that's doing everything it can to zap the life and energy out of us. And if God doesn't provide, we're in really big trouble. They're going to a spot where they will lack nothing. And he says, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And again, we're, we're like, okay, that's whatever. I don't really get that. But this is to a group of people that have been living in tents, that have been moving around in the wilderness from place to place to place to place. And so their home has to be mobile. It has to be ready to move. And he's saying, when we get to the promised land, you're going to have access to building supplies to metal, to stability, to security. And so he's describing this place that God is going to be leading his people. And he's saying all the things that you spend time worrying about right now, all the things that you're wondering, man, I hope God provides again today because otherwise I don't know what we're going to do. He says when you get to the promised land, it's this place where that stuff's all there. God has given you this land where you're not going to have to worry about the day in, day out of life like you've had to 
for the past 40 years. And he goes on in verse 10. He says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So what Moses is getting at here is this idea. I think it's amazing how well he understood human nature. Because he was pointing out, guys, right now we're living in a spot of desperation where we know that if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't show up, we don't know what we're going to do. But God is leading us into a place where he's already provided all this stuff, where we're not going to have to live every day worrying this way. And he says in that moment, it's going to be really easy when life calms down, when everything becomes a whole lot easier than it has been for these past 40 years. And you don't have to rely on God to provide food and water every single day. It's going to be really easy to kind of put him on the back burner, to forget about God. Because you're not going to feel as desperate for him to show up and him to work in your life. And I want to tell you a story that really uh, kind of crystallized this idea for me. I spent a year working in the country of South Africa with a ministry that was uh, reaching out to communities, especially that were impacted by the HIV and AIDS global pandemic. But in Southern Africa, it's on a whole nother scale, uh, partly because of lack of access to medical care, but partly to uh, the stigma surrounding being HIV positive or having AIDS. And with that stigma, there's just so much misinformation and all kinds of other things. So we spent time reaching out, working with local churches in unbelievably impoverished communities. If you don't know much about South Africa, uh, the history of the country is one where apartheid was a, a government institution where the people of color who lived in South Africa, which was about 80%, 85% of the population, were forced to live on about 13 to 15% of the land in the entire country. And anyone who was white had huge privilege. That was like, you know, 15 or 20% of the population and set up cities and fancy places that anyone who wasn't white 
had to have an ID card and it was dictated when and where they could go. They could come into these nice cities to work, but then at the end of the day, they had to go back into uh, these small communities and very tight living space that was set up for anyone who wasn't white. And this was governmentally instituted, so the police and the military, everything was on board with this. And so what happened over time is these communities where all people of color were forced to live outside of these cities, you can imagine when an area is crazily overpopulated and really underserved from a government standpoint, but really from all standpoints, you can imagine the result. And in these unbelievably overpopulated spots, they call them townships there. But if you're listening and you live in America, probably the best way to picture in your head what's going on is these are slums. And so if you just look up, if you're on your phone, on your computer, whatever, if you just do a Google image search right now and search for township South Africa, you'll get a really good visual picture of what's going on, what these townships are like. People were putting together um, housing with whatever materials they could find. And so you see a lot of corrugated metal roofs and walls and those kind of things and you just little scrap pieces of whatever construction, quote-unquote, material somebody could find to put a roof over there and their family's heads. And in the vast majority of these townships, there's no access to electricity or running water or anything like that, any decent medical care. And so this is where we spent a lot of our time doing ministry. And what I was doing, I was specifically working with youth to try to talk about, like I said before, there were so many misunderstandings around how HIV spread. There was so much stigma around being HIV positive or having full-blown AIDS that uh, we really wanted to work with local churches and talk to kids about how to prevent the spread of HIV and at the same time to share the gospel. And so we were doing this, working with local churches, and saw that for the most part, when we put on these local church events, most of the kids that showed up were people or kids from the church. And so we're kind of telling this message to people who have already heard it. So one time we had a band that was coming in from the United States and a radio station that was doing some broadcasts that were being played here in West Michigan. And so what I did is I went and I met with the principal of a local school in one of these townships. And I thought, maybe if I tell this principal, hey, we're going to be on the radio in the United States. I would love to do an interview with you. You'll get heard by people halfway across the world. You know, it's a pretty cool thing. I went in and met with this principal and shared, you know, hey, we'd love to partner with your school and do an event, do a little concert, 
And then I'd love to talk a little bit to the students about how to prevent the spread of HIV and about how in the face of what's going on here, they can find hope in Jesus. And I didn't think it was going to work, but this principal, she said to me, oh yeah, absolutely, but we don't have to do it after school or anything. Like, I'll just make it an assembly during the day and the kids will have to come. And I said, well, do you understand? We're going to talk about Jesus and, you know, I'm, I'm happy, but I don't know if you understand what I'm saying because I think that's not going to work in a public school. And she said, oh, that's great. Yeah, you can come. You can talk about Jesus. That's awesome. Let's do it. And I'm sitting there across the table just stunned. I don't know how many of you listening have tried to work with a public high school somewhere in the United States, but that's not how it goes. And so I thought, well, I wonder if that went so well, maybe I'll go to one of these other townships that we're working in and try the same thing. And I found with principal after principal after principal, people said, yeah, come in. You're going to do that? That's awesome. Come, Please come. We'll arrange an assembly. We'll have all the students there. You can talk about Jesus. In my favorite interaction, there was one principal that I asked, and I had just met her that day. I showed up. I had set up an appointment and everything. And she looked across the table and she said, okay, do you want to do this today? And I'm blown away. I'm like, what in the world? You don't even know anything about me. You don't know who I am. This is wild. And what I saw is that when people realized how much they needed God to show up, when they were at kind of the end of their rope of not realizing, okay, what else can I do to invest in these kids that are under my care as a principal of a high school? They said, hey, you want to come and talk about God? You want to come and bring a a message of hope? Yeah, I'm all about that. And we found door after door after door was opened. And after that went so, so well, I started to think, okay, well, maybe I'll call one of these schools that's not located in a township, but that's located in one of the cities that's a lot more established and a lot more kind of what we picture when we think of uh, a place living in America. And so I called one of these schools, and I actually wasn't even able to talk to the principal. I got caught by their assistant. And this person said, okay, yeah, you want to come and talk at our school? Well, you have to be board certified by this government body and you have to have XYZ form in place and you'll have to explain all this stuff. And I said, well, I've done this at some other schools and they didn't require any of that stuff. And they said, well, you're not getting in this school if you don't go through all these hoops, essentially. And as I hung up the phone from this conversation, I started to think of, wow, that's the exact thing 
that thousands of years ago, Moses was writing, uh, talking, and warning the people of Israel about. That as soon as things settle down, that as soon as things are going good to the point that we're no longer worried about uh, how we're going to provide for our family, now our quote-unquote worry is about comfort and stability and security. It's really easy to forget about God. Now, I'm not telling that story to um, kind of fetishize or overpraise like, oh, poverty is the way to go because there were horrific conditions that people were living in that I think is kind of our responsibility as fellow people and especially as followers of Jesus to work toward alleviating. But the point is that when we don't know what to do, it's easier to rely on God. And I want to tell you a story from my life that happened later than that, that maybe, uh, not maybe, definitely isn't anywhere on the scale of the story I just told you about. And I think it's a whole lot more relatable for many of us. Uh, in a relationship that I had with a really, really close friend, there was some tension that was mounting and I'm guessing probably most of us have been in this scenario where we're starting to realize like, okay, we're going to have to have a tough conversation pretty soon here. And both of us knew that we needed to, but I think we both were kind of putting it off because it was really hard to imagine how there could possibly be a positive outcome from this tough conversation. We thought it was kind of a an intractable position that we were in where it was like, okay, if we talk about it, then things are going to go bad because there's really no way that they don't. And so this went on and on and on for a little while and kind of built up. And finally it got to a point I'm like, okay, I've got to have a conversation about this. So I set up a dinner with my buddy. We're going to go out for dinner uh, the next night. And so I spent a day, this is the first time I had done this, I spent a day fasting and praying and asking God to show up because I didn't want to lose this relationship and I didn't know if it was going to come to that, but didn't want it to be irreparably damaged or anything as we kind of figured out what was causing this tension and moving forward. So I spent the day leading up to it, praying and fasting and asking God to do something. And so we get to dinner and um, I guess kind of typical guys, we put it off. We spent time eating and kind of hanging out, talking about anything else. And then as we're getting to the end of the meal, I, I said, okay, we got to talk. And I shared what was on my heart. I shared what I really thought we needed to do and how to move forward. And I'll never forget, he looked across the table and he kind of shrugged and he went, okay, sounds good. 
and I'm guessing that we've all been in not maybe that situation or a similar situation, but one where we just have that relief just wash over us. And in that moment, it was like, oh, oh, wow, what a weight off my shoulders. And I immediately, the first thought I had after, wow, what a relief, my thought was, man, that went really smooth. Why was I so worried about that? That was easy. Not, wow, God, I spent all day fasting and praying and asking for you to show up because I can't picture how this goes any way other than bad, how this does anything other than harm relationships. And as soon as it happened, as soon as it went well, as soon as I was out of the woods and didn't have to worry anymore about something going really bad, I kind of moved on. I kind of forgot that God had showed up, that I had asked him and cried out and said, God, I don't know what to do. I need your help. And I have a feeling that we all know what that moment is like in our own lives. That we've been desperate for God to show up because if he didn't, this relationship was maybe going to be broken beyond repair. Or uh, this conflict that I was trying to figure out was going to lead to even bigger, the blow up of an entire family or was going to take on just all this momentum or maybe everything not relationally but maybe at work or maybe at wherever it is things were just going to crumble and fall apart and we cried out to God and then as soon as we were on the other side of it as soon as things started looking up it became really easy to forget about God So the reminder from Moses from thousands of years ago, the reminder from all of our own lives when we know that we've done that, you think about how often we do it. I mean, they make sitcom episodes and they make movie plot lines about this idea, right? Someone's in the midst of a pickle and they're praying and saying, you know, God, I don't really know if I believe in you. I don't really usually do this, but if you show up, I'll do any. And usually they get cut off, right, by a phone call or a text or someone walking in the room and things are resolved and they say, oh, never mind, I'm all good. Boom. We don't do it that blatantly. But the reason that's a running joke is because we all do that. We lean on God desperately when we feel the need for him. And then as soon as things are looking up, we go, oh, never mind, God. I, you know, I don't know why I was so worried about that. I think I'm all good. All of us need to remember that our reliance on God isn't just because we feel that need. Um, 
it's because of who God is and of how he shows up in our lives. And so Moses telling the people of Israel, don't forget what he's saying is if you don't find some way to keep reminding yourself of how God has been faithful time and time and time again, as you move forward, you're going to lose track of that and you're going to forget. And the next time you find yourself in a tough spot, you can't lean on your memory of all the ways God has been faithful. And when we do that, we know, hey, God's brought me through so much stuff in the past. Now, I want to talk about that for a second because it doesn't mean that we're going to come through unscathed. It doesn't mean that we're going to get the outcome that we want. We know that when God shows up and when God provides, a lot of times it's not in the way that we pictured, and a lot of times it's really not in the way that we wanted. But when we remember that God is faithful all along the way, we know as we move forward that he's going to keep on showing up. So I want to invite you, whether it's a, a journal, whether it's um, taking pictures of significant moments or significant people in your life, whether it's talking to someone about what God has done in your life, find some way to remember. Because just like Moses knew, and just like we know from personal experience, if we don't find some way to remember, we forget. 